But during periods where we see big change, such as very specifically in 1989, when the Berlin Wall came down and suddenly people were fearing a lot of inflation coming into the European economies. I mean, you find out very quickly how difficult it is to figure out where the low is, back to your point about anticipation mm. and prediction, because the low can be very different in reality to what you think. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Today's episode is sponsored by the Valuation Masterclass Online, the complete, proven, step-by-step -step online course to guide you from novice to valuation expert. Podcast listeners can claim your amazing 35% discount by going to myworstinvestmentever.com slash deals. My name is Andrew Stott from A. Stott's Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest Nils Karstrup Larsen. Nils, are you ready to rock? Absolutely, Andrew. Let's do this. Absolutely. And as we speak, it is Thanksgiving evening here in beautiful Bangkok. So it's a little bit of turkey time tonight. Well, Nils, let me introduce you to my audience so they know a little bit about you. Nils Karstrup Larsen is... Managing Director of Dunn Capital Europe and heads up the business development in Europe and Asia. Nils has been in the managed futures business since 1990. That's a long time. <laughs> Holding management positions at several leading commodity trader advisors and has helped investors place more than $2 billion in trend following strategies. Nils is the founder and host of the world's leading podcast within quant based investment strategies, Top Traders Unplugged as well as a host of CME Group's podcast on managed futures. Nils, take a minute and fill in any further tidbits about your life. Absolutely, Andrew. So I guess I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones who found kind of the industry that I wanted to work in at a relatively early age. I initially started out as a bond trader back in the 1980s, but within a few years, I, I kind of migrated over to what we know today as the hedge fund industry and more specifically to this sort of systematic and rules-based trend-following world that you mentioned, which, as you said, I got introduced to that about 30 years ago now. And it really was kind of a, a love at first sight experienced. Um, so in the last three decades, I've had the privilege to work with some of the greatest trend-followers in the world, people like Jerry Parker, who was part of a famous experiment called the Turtle Experiment with Richard Dennis back in the 80s in, in Chicago, where several books have been written about that. And, and now, as you mentioned, I work with Don Capital, where we actually just celebrated our 45th year in business. So I think that makes us one of the oldest, quote unquote, hedge funds still in, in the industry. Mm. And by the way, are all Don's strategies trend following or do they have others? No, we focus on, on trend, probably yep. one of the few who, who still just focus on one thing to, to try and be very good at that. And I was just thinking that it would be great to tell the audience for some that may not understand, including me, the difference between trend following, momentum and other styles of investing. I'm curious if you could just give us like a description of what you do with that. Yeah, so I think, I mean, trend following has is, is been around for you know, a very long time, we've become more familiar with it maybe in the last 40 to 50 years, but you can go back in history and you can find evidence of it existing, you know, several hundred years back. 
I mean, trend following essentially, as, as the word says, we, we are looking for larger trends in the markets. And clearly, momentum is quite related to that because in order for there to be a trend, you need some kind of momentum in one direction for it to establish. So I think there are very close cousins in, in that sense. But I do think that there is a distinction in many people's mind. So I would say trend following, think about it as uh, strategies that are trying to really capture long-term trends, you know, such as when we saw, let's take an example, when we saw oil a few years back in 2014 drop from, say, $120 down to $25. I mean, that's a big trend, which our industry caught very well. But something that just moves for a few days, and that's not trend, but it could be momentum. And other strategies would be, you know, on the shorter term side would be able to capture those. So that that's kind of the main difference, I would say. But there is Naturally, there's a host of these alternative strategies, of course. Yeah. I'm just curious, before we get on to the big question, when you talk about something like, let's just take oil as an example, when you decide to put on a position in oil, long or short, what are the factors that come in? Are, are your factors having to do with how you feel, or having to do with the data, having to do with the price? What are the things that guide you in you know, putting a trade in a trend on. Sure, you're kind of almost touching on on what will be my worst investment. But <laughs> but to make to make it simple, the beauty of trend following that I really think is the, also the strength of what we do is we only focus on one thing, and that's price, because price really will tell you everything you need to know. And so in our case, you know, price has always been the input we've used in 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 the 45 years we've been doing this. Some other managers are starting to use alternative data, so they're broadening it out a bit. But frankly, I think that it's hard to beat just pure price as your input, and it certainly makes your investment strategy very objective. So what we specifically are looking for, let's go back to the oil example, and as it was trading back in 2014 above $100, as it starts to break down and move south, so to speak, we will have rules, you know, not necessarily complicated rules, but we'll have rules that will tell us when we should start either get out of our long positions and then start getting short and and vice versa we'll follow those price moves down and once the price kind of bottoms out and starts to move back up again we'll also have rules that tells us exactly when to close our short positions and potentially go long so it is simple in concept but it's not easy to do <laughs> and i said that was going to be my last question but i just have one more just so if I just so I can understand. When I think of trend, I think of something that's already moving. And so you're gonna capture what's already moving. When I think of let's say that oil example, there's a point where some people were out there going, This is too high. I'm taking a view that this is this trend, this upward trend is gonna reverse. How much of what you do has to do with trying to understand that reversal or invest in that reversal versus wait until the reversal comes and then catch the wave? Right. I mean, so in what we do, discipline is absolutely vital and therefore we don't predict anything at all. So we may personally have opinions, but it has nothing to do with how we would invest in a market. So, no, we have to wait for the market to reverse in order to get short. I mean, you could have slightly different rules, but I think that's probably overcomplicating things for today. But mm. I mean, generally speaking, price will determine when you get short and therefore price have to start moving down before you can get a signal to get short in that sense. And, you know, if you just take a look at, say, bond prices, which 
obviously in, in recent times have continued to move up and, and yields have gotten incredibly low. And in Europe, where I'm based, they're obviously negative at the moment. I mean, if you ask people two or three years ago, can interest rates really become negative? Most of them would have said, no, it's impossible and we should get out of our bond positions. But the people who just stayed with the price and focused on that, such as what we do in our industry, you know, we've been able to make money from this continued move lower in yields. And that's where the discipline and not trying to predict anything really, you know, comes in as, as a strong diversifier in, in a portfolio. That's great. I mean, uh, for the listeners out there, I think I'm thinking about a way of characterizing this. And I would say, you know, a typical fundamental analyst like I was, you know, and have been all my life is looking for the why and, you know, why is this happening? But in some ways, what you're talking about is the what. Hey, it's moving now. We're going to catch this trend and we're not going to try to overthink that. So absolutely. Uh, we don't really worry about the why. It doesn't really matter why things move. And sometimes, as you know, I mean, the financial news may come on and say they know why it moved, but frankly, <laughs> they have no idea. So, uh, no, we, we don't worry about the why. And you're absolutely right. We just care about, you know, you know what is moving and, and how it's moving, so to speak. Fantastic. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to explain what you do. I think that's going to help all of us to understand, but it may also help us understand your story even more. So now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Sure, absolutely, Andrew. So my worst investment ever, it's not really a specific investment per se, but it's rather an investment concept or principle, if you like, that I was introduced to in, in the early days of my career. So as I mentioned, I was a young government bond trader and our job was really, you know, partly to provide liquidity to the clients of the bank I was working for by kind of constantly making uh, what's called two-way bid offer prices that the clients could trade at. But also we would inherently be speculating during the day or even during the week by holding these positions in, in bonds that we were, were making markets in. So that the mantra that many people know as, as buying low and selling high, that was really what we were trained to do, but on a discretionary basis or discretionary basis. But during periods where we see big change, such as very specifically in 1989, when the Berlin Wall came down and suddenly people were fearing a lot of inflation coming into the European economies, I mean, you find out very quickly <laughs> how difficult it is to, to figure out where the low is, back to your point about anticipation mm. and prediction, because the low can be very different in reality to what you think. So I certainly remember quite a few very painful days during that time. And so my worst investment as, a, as an idea was really not knowing what I don't know. And that might sound a little bit cryptic, but in this particular case, what I didn't know at the time was really the power of momentum and how important it is to follow the overall trend in the market, not trying to go against the market trend. So when I was, you know, a few years later, I got introduced to trend following, where essentially, you know, we do the opposite, meaning we want to buy the highs because that's where the momentum is when markets start to move up and vice versa. We want to sell the lows, hoping the markets will continue to go down and just let price and the momentum of the market be our guide instead of, you could say, personal intuition or gut feel. And so I have to admit, I was a bit skeptical initially when I came across this concept. But 
once I understood the value of these rules-based, you know, strategies, I never looked back. And it, it all, I guess, is based on how you and I, Andrew, we're really, as, as humans, we're really designed as the worst possible type of investors, really. I mean, we, the way humans have evolved is for immediacy and for certainty and to take action. But in financial markets and in order to be successful, you really you know, want to find ways to deal with uncertainty, which takes often restraint and patience and and not listening to your gut, frankly. You know, uh, our gut was kind of our warning system back in, in the day of keeping us safe. But, you know, as a guide for making financial decisions, I don't think that it's a very good measure in any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. So nowadays, when we live in, in these different times, we, we have to recognize that we as humans are not very well equipped to make good financial decisions because if we don't, we often end up doing the opposite of what we should. You know, we end up becoming more risk-seeking towards the end of a bull market. Mm. We often end up becoming very conservative just before the bear market is coming to an end. And so we end up being guided by emotions which really are, you know, can be disastrous when it comes to to making financial decisions. So... And of course, you know, we also have this tendency to feel that we know what's going to happen in the future. So, of course, when you turn on CNBC and Bloomberg, you see all these experts coming with very precise predictions about what's going to happen in the future. But I'm sure you may be familiar with this saying that those who have knowledge don't predict and those who predict don't have knowledge. Um, (laughs) And that might be a little bit harsh, of course. But what's really interesting to me is that, I mean, if you take the weather, which we're all familiar with, it's much easier to forecast the short term, like what's the weather going to be tomorrow. But when it comes to investments, it's actually the opposite. It's very hard to know what the markets are going to do tomorrow, but it's easier to know what they're going to do in the long term. So when you look at portfolios and you look at kind of annualized returns, the longer your time horizon, the more stable these returns become. And that's very, I mean, that's very important. So I think, you know, I certainly had to to realize that in order to or, you know overcome emotions in the investment world and be rational and critical, preserve those kind of thinking, then becoming a quant, so to speak, or a rules-based investor was really the way to go, you know, to automate things so you know exactly what you want to do, have a plan. It was really something, you know, coming from a discretionary background and then migrating to this you know it's a big transition and i think most people are still in the discretionary camp and guided by emotions but i really think that and certainly for me it was a big aha moment to realize the importance of building a robust process to follow when it comes to to investment so that that it really was my Mm. worst uh, experience not knowing all of these things when i started out in the industry okay so how would you let's go straight to the idea of how you would help someone with some actionable advice. In other words, based on what you've learned from those days and what you've continued to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Right. I mean, so specific actions are, of course, quite hard. You know, what people could do, and and that's, you know, one thing that I think is really important is just to be open-minded and try to look at the evidence, you know, look at the research. And from memory, there's a really good paper on the CME group. So CME group is the largest futures exchange in the world. Mm -hmm. So if you go to CME group, they have a white paper somewhere called Lindner Revisited. 
and it's based on on a gentleman called Dr. Lindner, who originally wrote a paper about the value of true diversification back in, I think, 1983, and then they checked the evidence 25 years later. So Lindner revisited on the CME group is a good place to start, but I would also go to YouTube. I watched a video recently that Ray Dalio has published, or someone has published with him, and I think it's called Ray Dalio Breaks Down His Holy Grail. And he has this wonderful, very simple way of explaining the value of diversification. Because obviously that's one of the things that you will then, you know, uh, realize when it comes to investing that there are certain, you know, rules that will really help you become a better investor. And one of them is diversification. There's no doubt that that is really important. And Ray Dalio has often said that that was really the secret source to his success. So I think just taking, you know, a white paper and listening to Ray Dalio's video, which you can do within an hour, I think that's very actionable, and I think everybody should take the time to do so. That's great. That's great advice, and I'm going to check both of those out. As I recall, Lintner was also, I think, the capital asset pricing model at the same time as Sharp, as I recall, many years ago. It's around ago. the same time, definitely, yeah. 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 So. All right, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? <laughs> well... Generally speaking, I would say I focus a lot on education through the work that I do uh, at Don Capital, but also through the podcast that I have, you know, the Top Traders on Plug. Mm. And I, I enjoy to see the feedback. I'm sure you do as well, to see the feedback from people when they finally realize kind of the value of some of these concepts that we discuss on the podcast. And I think they can be life-changing, frankly, mm. if you really get it. So my focus will be continued education, helping investors build safer and better portfolios. So I think that's where my focus will be, not just in the coming year, but, but in the future. Fantastic. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we end, Nils, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Well, I mean, I would just look at my own kind of career and, and say, you know, you should never stop learning. I think a lot of people think that when you leave school or university, your kind of your learning process comes to an end. But I think with all the resources we have available today, uh, many of them are completely free, like your own podcast. We should all remain students of life and keep expanding our knowledge. I think this is true with many things, including investing. And, you know, for my part, I can certainly invite your audience if they want to read. I have a, a, one of my books that is free of charge. They can go uh, and get a copy of if they go to toptradersonplug.com forward slash Andrew and just start their own learning process. I think that's the best advice I can give. Fantastic. I mean, the learning process, it's part of what brought me into the financial world and has definitely kept me there as I've, you know, recently I have been cleaning out my, my bookshelves and I decided to put them all into Goodreads, one of those apps for books. And I've been ranking them upon, you know, looking at the scores that they've got from other people and all that. And yeah, it's, it's quite amazing to think that, you know, we get so much value from the books that we have, from the things online, the YouTubes, all this. So it's just out there waiting to be consumed. So listeners, take it, take this chance, listen to Top Traders Unplugged, and also take this chance to get the book and download it for free. So that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our well fellow risk takers. I'll see you on the upside.